I am enough. And we'll unpack what it means that uh, when Jesus says, I am the true vine this morning. And so there's three things that we'll be looking at is that um, we'll be looking at there's this call to abide. We've used this word abide over and over again uh, in our text. So the first thing that we'll look at is the call to abide. If you're a note taker, there's some blank spots. Uh, if you're not, no worries. Uh, but the first point is the call to abide. Second, we will look at the certainty of pruning. Uh, and lastly, the confidence of fruit. So the call to abide, the certainty of pruning, and the confidence of fruit will all look at and unpack as Jesus claims to be the true vine for our lives. Let me pray. God, thank you so much that we get to hear from you. Push me out of the way. God, whatever people need to hear, will you speak? And, and will we uh, have our ears open, our hearts open to your conviction, to your healing, and to your change, and to your hope? Uh, may we hear from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so a few weeks ago, a lot of you guys know that uh, I like to stay active in a lot of sports that I like to play uh, is either really physical uh, or I like to, you know, go to the gym. I feel like a bro, like when I say that, like I like going to the gym, but I do. I like working out, uh, particularly this sport of CrossFit. Uh, and a few weeks ago, I injured my wrist thinking that I was stronger than I actually was. Uh, and I remember my wrist hurting really, really bad. And so I went to a buddy of mine who's a chiropractor, uh, but it took me a while to get there. You know, for a lot of us, uh, we, when we get injured, we like to sit back and, you know what, it'll heal by its own, or we don't need a doctor, or we don't need this or that. I'm notorious for that. And, and so for weeks, even though I had an injured wrist, I would ice it, you know, hoping it'll feel better. It didn't. I would put a warm heating pad on it, hoping it'd feel better. I would do some mobility exercises on my wrist because it hurt. It didn't help at all. So finally, after a few weeks, uh, a few months, uh, I went to go see uh, a doctor. I went to go see my uh, sports chiropractor, uh, and he started looking at it, and I told him, my wrist is in pain. I can't, I can barely move it. Help me out, do something, fix it, crack it, do whatever you gotta do, because I'm thinking, after that, voila, I'll be healed, I'm done, I'm ready to go. The funny thing is, as soon as I got there, instead of working on my wrist, the whole time he started working on my arm, and, and I was a little confused, because I'm, I'm thinking, Dr. Greg, it's, it's, it's my wrist. Uh, but he keeps on working on my arm, and then he goes up to my elbow, and then to my upper arm, my shoulder and my bicep. And, and finally I said, look doc, I came here because my wrist is injured, my wrist hurts. Uh, and, and then he says, I hear you and I get that, but for you, the injury, even though you feel the pain in your wrist, that is just a symptom of a different injury that is on your arm, and on your elbow, and on your shoulder. So this whole time I was icing my wrist thinking that if I want to get rid of this pain, or this injury, or this nagging ache, that I need to fix the problem where it hurts. And what the doctor was saying, yes, you might feel it here, but in actuality, the root of the problem is up here. And so when I connect, and when I feel the root of the problem, and when I help out the, the area of the actual problem, then the healing will flow, even in your injured areas. And, and I look at that, and oftentimes I think of this as an illustration of even our faith. 
Even our journey with God, whether you or, or whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, heck, religious or not, I truly believe all of us in the inner depths of our souls, we all have an ache. We all have an ache to be connected with something much bigger than ourselves. And, and I've talked to Many, many people inside of the church, outside of the church, one commonality we have as human beings is that we all in our souls have an ache, an aching desire to figure out what it is that is bigger than ourselves. And if we want to ask in a very existential way, it's, the, it's this age-old question, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? And, and until we get a grasp on this and, and, and headed towards the trajectory of this answer, we will consistently, consistently be unfulfilled, unsatisfied, unhappy, and continuously be searching and searching and searching to the point of exhaustion. See, the problem is oftentimes... Uh, though antithetical to what Scripture says, antithetical to what we just read, just like my pain in my wrist, we search for answers to that question, that age-old question, why am I here, what is bigger than me, by searching somewhere else, by finding answers in this world that wants to offer so much things to you. The meaning of life is, oh, I don't understand what it is. It's to be rich. It's to be famous. It's to have upward mobility. It's to have certain relationships. But the problem is, all we're doing is we're working on the risk when God is saying, I am the true vine. The answer to that question is not your search for money, people, possession, power. It's actually in and only through me. You need to be rooted in me to receive healing and joy and true life. And not just life, but life in its abundance. Here in our text this morning, John 15, Jesus again immediately answers this question, the meaning of life. Or what we would say in our Christian lingo, our calling. And the calling for our, of his followers, of all believers, Jesus says, is to, is to be completely rooted in him. And the promise of being <clears throat> completely rooted in Christ is that you will bear fruit. Not, not maybe, not possibly, when we are absolutely, utterly dependent and rooted in Christ, you will bear fruit. But apart from Christ, it says you can do nothing. Being rooted in Christ we will have no choice but to bear fruit. John 15, as we read, says, Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide <clears throat> in me. And so what does fruit look like? We talk about this fruit all the time. It's all over Scripture. It's all over the New Testament and the Old Testament. And a good example of what fruit might look like is what Paul says. Paul says in chapter 5, The fruit of the Spirit, just one fruit, by the way, the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's generosity, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control, is what Galatians chapter 5 says. And so, therefore, when you are rooted in the true vine, 
The vine is a metaphor of nourishment, of source. When you are connected to the source of life, the giver of life, you will have no choice but to bear fruit. What does fruit look like? You will have joy. You will have peace. You will have patience, kindness, generosity, and all of that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of pain, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of whatever you're going through, as long as you are rooted in Christ, this you will bear. Jesus says, I promise you, fruit you will bear. You will have patience to the people that are ticking you off. You will have peace in the midst of rainy and stormy days. You will have love in the times where there's so much division. This is the promise that Christ has for you and for me. And so the point of this whole vine and fruit metaphor all over the scripture, all over, the point is for us to produce this fruit that comes from Christ, that can only come from Christ. But it requires something. In order for us to experience this fruit, it comes from, first as we talked about, answering this call to abide. We must abide in Christ. Jesus is very intentional and went right out of the gate. He says, I am not only the vine, he says, I am the true vine. He says, you cannot bear this fruit apart from me, the true vine. And in order to understand this better, we have to have a better understanding of the illustration of vine. It's a common language that they use, vine and vineyard, for centuries. Not only in the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament. This idea of vine and vineyard was nothing new, uh, new language to them. And any faithful Jew, even in the New Testament, would understand what Jesus was implying and what Jesus was saying. Let me give you a few examples in the Old Testament. Uh, and there's several about how vine is used, vine or vineyard. And vine or vineyard always, always, always represents Israel in the Old Testament. Meaning, vine and vineyard always represents the people of God. And, and so, oftentimes in the Old Testament, the people of God, Israel, is, is represented as a vine. As something that God uses to flow nutrients, to flow love, to flow justice, to, to flow fairness, to flow reconciliation to others. And in Hosea chapter 10, verse 1, it says this, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruits. The more his fruits increase, the more altars he builds. As his uh, country improved, he improved his pillars. And in verse 2, it says, their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Let me give you a couple more. In Jeremiah chapter 2, it says, yet I planted you... Israel as a choice vine from the purest stock, how then did you turn degenerate and become a wild vine? Last one in Isaiah, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts of the house of Israel and the people of Judah are as pleasant planting. And then he says, He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. He expected righteousness, but heard a cry. Now, there's a pattern here going on. Israel, again, is represented as the vine, as the people of God. 
But every time, especially in the Old Testament, when the, when the people of God, Israel, was represented as divine, there was also an attachment of judgment. That although people of God, Israel, were called to be agents of God's restoration, they failed every single time. And, and so we go back to this verse and says, God saying in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea, I've called you to be my agents of love to this world, and yet you failed, and there's judgment, and you did not represent me the way I've called you to be. And yet, all of a sudden, here comes Jesus using that same language, saying, I am the true vine. What he's saying is, okay, I know that you understand Israel being the people of God, this people. And what Jesus is saying, I don't believe out of anger or spite, but Jesus is saying, step aside, I've got this. Jesus is saying, step aside. No longer is the vine represented through the people, through Israel, through the nation. I'm going to step in. I've got you. I am the true vine. I am the representation of the Father the Father's love, mediation, reconciliation, healing, joy is going to flow through me and unto you as long as you stay connected as the branch is to a vine. Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Step aside. I've got you today, right now, and forever. And for some of us this morning, we need to hear that. For some of us this morning sitting in those chairs, and including myself, we need to know and to hear and to believe, to truly understand that whatever you're going through, that God's got this. That God is on your side. And just like he promises his, his disciples, just like he promises Joshua in the Old Testament, he will never leave you nor forsake you. So whatever it is that you're going through, the crisis, the hurt, the heartache, the confusion, the anger, God got you. And God has got this. Our only job is to simply abide. See, this word abide in the original Greek is this word menos. Uh, and, and menos mean, doesn't just mean to abide, just to obey. But this whole idea of menos actually means to remain in. It's to remain in is a better definition uh, of, of menos. And, and even in Luke chapter 19, when Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus coming from a tree, Zacchaeus is like, I want to see you, I want to see you. And Jesus says, you know what, I need to come into your house today. I need to come into your house. It's the same word as remain. I need to remain in you and you in me. And what Jesus is saying is that, yes, there's all these things in our lives that are happening, that are distracting, that are, again, painful or confusing or whatever it may be. And yet Jesus says, don't worry, I've got this. All you have to do, all I have to do is we have one job. And that one job is this, is to remain in me, in Christ. And there's comfort in that. There's hope in that. There's peace in that. And to be fully remaining in Christ changes 
everything. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. Stay connected. I will provide for you the nourishment that you need, that you were never able to accomplish. Like Israel, Jesus came in and says, I will be the new Israel. What you can't accomplish, I will accomplish. What you couldn't do on your own, I will do. And whatever you're going through, Jesus is saying, don't try to do it on your own because you can't do it, but that's okay because I've got you. Just stay, remain connected with me. And the call to abide is nothing, nothing short than a call to trust and a call to surrender. Again, because the temptation for all of us is to do it ourselves. In essence, again, be the vine. Thinking we can control the outcome, be our own source of power, of strength, bear our own fruit. The problem with this is that we end up defining fruit in a way that fruit was never meant to be. <clears throat> we end up distorting the definition of fruit. Again, it becomes status, it becomes money, it becomes possessions, it becomes something else other than what God has created. And so what does that mean for us? We go. We go, go, go. You guys know the feeling in your everyday life? We're constantly moving and stressing and going and working and accomplishing and doing and achieving. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus is finally stepping down and says, relax. Breathe. Calm down. I've got you. Just remain in me. Menos, stay. It kind of reminds me of, of Mary and Martha. Uh, when Martha is working so hard, you guys know the story when the two sisters, Mary and Martha, are welcoming Jesus into their home, and Martha is just frantically just moving around and cooking and doing this and doing that and cleaning the house. It's just so much anxiety. I just feel it when I read the story, like so much anxiety. And Mary, all Mary is doing is sitting down at the feet of Jesus, it says. And Jesus says, Martha, relax. Mary is doing what is right. Learning and resting and abiding in me. I had a friend come up to me a couple of years ago uh, in this, this conversation that, that I'll never forget. When I look at this guy, his name is Eric. I won't give you the last name just in case. Uh, but I've known him for years since college. He was a former fraternity brother of mine, actually. And, and if you look at this guy, it just seems like he had it all. I mean, especially after graduating, he was an investment banker. Uh, he had all the money. He was head, and, and for him, he was a guy that bared fruit, money, uh, status, nice car, nice home, nice everything. And I kid you not, this is not a joke. He was, um, I guess, a contestant, or I don't know what you'd call uh, a, a guy on The Bachelorette. Uh, I don't know what you, the, uh, a guy on The Bachelorette. Uh, and he made it pretty far. And that's why I don't want to give you his last name, because he was kind of a jerk. Uh, and so uh, I may or may not want to be associated with him. Yeah. And, and I remember talking to him, and I was like, man, uh, well, sounds like you're living a good life. And he says, Prince, have you ever had this happen to me? And I said, what? He said, have you ever went to bed 
just sitting, lying in their bed, not being able to fall asleep. I said, yeah, actually, that happens to me all the time. Uh, and I have to wind down, and I, I have trouble sleeping. Sure, I get it. And he said, no, Prince, you don't understand. Here's what I mean by that. There's often times where I lay in my bed, and I can't fall asleep because I'm just full of this anxiety or I'm full of this question that in life there must be more than what I already have. And he can't sleep. It's bothering him even to the late at night when his, as his heart churns and aches. Again, going back to the question, there must be something bigger than of myself. When we are connected with Jesus, the true vine, that is where we find nourishment for our souls. That is where we find contentment and peace and joy. And for many of us, we get so wrapped up in finding nourishment in something else. And just like my friend Eric, though he, in the world's eyes, felt very nourished, sleep that night, staying awake, thinking about there must be more. And in John chapter 15, Jesus right out of the gate says, yes, there is more, and it's me. Be connected with your creator, the vine, and I will give you all that you need and more. Where do you find your nourishment this morning? My desire and my hope for all of us is that our nourishment comes from abiding, to be remaining in and only in and through Christ. Abide in me. Our calling is to abide. Secondly, the certainty of pruning. In John chapter 15, verse 2, it says, He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes to make it bear more fruit. I hate this part. I, I, I don't know if, I, and maybe that's blasphemous. I don't know if it is. God forgive me. Uh, but there are certain things that I read in the Bible where I'm like, I wish this wasn't here because it's not pleasant. And I wish this section was never written. Here it's saying, as God's beloved, and as you abide in me and as you abide in him, there will be times where God prunes, where God clips away at your life. And pruning, this whole analogy of pruning is significant, especially when it comes to agriculture, which was huge during this time. In order for, they understood that in agriculture, in order for something to grow, to bear fruit, to be healthy, to get bigger, ironically, you would have to cut away and make it smaller. Then you would have the ability, again, to grow and thrive and flourish. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, I love you so much that when you are connected to me, I'm going to remove the things that are unhealthy in your life. I'm going to cut away areas. And, 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 it, and it even says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So it's not just the unhealthy things. He'll even prune away and chip away and take away and alter and change even the good things in our lives in order for us to learn and grow and again to bear more fruits. 
So it's not pruning, it's not just about chipping away and cutting away at healthy or unhealthy parts of a tree or a plant, but it's also to improve the penetration of sunlight, to increase the air, move, air movement, so it receives all the right nutrients. I hate that. When I was in college, I was at WSU for two years, go Cougs, I'm a Cougie at heart. Uh, and I loved every second of it. I went on a mission trip with Campus Crusade for Christ after my sophomore year. That changed everything. That summer, uh, it was, I finished, I came back from my summer project, my summer mission trip in the mean streets and rough village of Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, I came back in August, and I felt this urge of Jesus saying, I want to chip away at this. I need you to move from WSU, and I want you to go to SPU, Classic, right? Classic Jesus wants me to go to Christian private school. And, and I understood that it's this idea of community that I was lacking in this, in this, now that I was getting serious about my vocation, Jesus was saying, you know what? I need you to move to Seattle Pacific University. And I thought, there's no way. I love, I love my friends, I love everything that's happening. And, and after this wrestling and battling with Jesus, I was like, all right, well, I'll apply in August, and I'll apply to get in for September. Uh, and hey, if I don't get in, Jesus, I tried. Uh, and if it didn't work, I guess it's not your will. <clears throat> and I applied middle of August, heard back the first week of September, it says you're in. Shoot. Uh, all right, I guess I'm going. Uh, and, and though it was a very difficult choice, I understood, all right, if this is what God wants, God's going to provide a way to make it awesome. I'm going to move from, you know, I was living in a fraternity where people are, you know, making bad decisions to what Christian school people do, play ultimate frisbee, and uh, they do. I mean, it's a total Christian school. Uh, anyways. Uh, and, and have game nights. It's a total thing to do. And I was like, okay, I'm moving. And so I moved, and, and I tell you what, the last two years when I finished at Seattle Pacific University were the two, to this day, the most loneliest years of my entire life. Because uh, I don't know if you've been to a Christian university or a small school before, uh, but as a transfer student, friends have already been established. <laughs> and there's no way in, and there's no way out. Uh, and they call it the SPU bubble, and I'm sure other Christian colleges have this too. And when I went in, I was so angry with God. I said, God, I could have sworn you told me to move. You told me to cut out these people out of my life uh, and unhealthy habits and decisions. And you had me come to SPU only to be so lonely and so angry and so ticked off. What is the deal? And, and I look back many, many years later. It's been many years since I've graduated. And, and I look back and I say, you know what? If I didn't make that move, I know with a shadow of, my, of a doubt, 100%, I would not be standing here today in front of you. It will be pruning, removing, altering things that God does in your life. Some of us, we're going through a pruning season right now, and it doesn't feel good. Because it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. And again, some of us are dealing with God removing, changing, altering something in your life. And it's painful. 
Maybe it's a marriage or relationship or finances or a job or children or experiencing hardship or challenges somewhere else and it's downright painful. But no, that is not a punishment. This is the way that God prunes us in order for us to bear fruit and bear more fruit. And Jesus is pleading with us. And it's actually a Greek uh, conjugation. It's an imperative. Uh, it's an imperative form that says, abide in me. Stay in the game. And, and I love this song by Hillsong. And it's a song called, Even When It Hurts. And there's a line that says something like this. Uh, uh, even when the fight seems lost, and I can resonate with this, and I know many of us can too. Even when the fight seems lost, I'll praise you. Even when it hurts like hell, I'll praise you. Even when it makes no sense to sing louder than I'll sing your praise. And some of us in this room, we are hurting like hell, but I beg you to stay in the game. Remain in Christ. This is your answer. Christ is your answer. And you will bear fruit from the nourishment you receive from the Holy Spirit that God provides. And the promise is that in the midst of pruning and chipping away at your life, the promise is that something we once held as tragedy, we will hold as treasure. Something that was once tragedy will now be treasure because of the transformation that God does in our lives where through the pruning, we actually bear more fruit, more love, more hope, more peace, more of all things that God wants us to be. And lastly, the confidence of fruit. We have the confidence that through our abiding, through our pruning, that God will bear fruit in us. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them will bear fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. God will always, always have the last word, but the timing is God's prerogative. And in this midst of uh, a fast-paced culture, an on-demand culture, you know, I just called Comcast and I paid extra to have my internet faster by less than two seconds. And I know, because man, it's not loading two seconds faster. Oh, much better. Uh, I, pay, I pay extra for Hulu, for the non-commercial, because I don't want to wait through commercials. I want to know what happens next on This Is Us. <laughs> I don't want to wait. In this hyper mobile, on-demand culture, we are terrible at waiting. And yet, even in the Old Testament, when God talks to his people, there'll be a cloud over you. When the clouds move, you move. When the cloud stops, you stop. That's it. There's no plan. There's no X and Y. There's no equation. When God tells you to move, you're going to move. When God tells you to stop, you're going to stop. When God prunes, God's going to prove. That's God's prerogative. But the promise is that God will always have the last word. And I say this always, 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 that in our lives, when there's tragedy, when there's whatever, we believe that God uses periods. But yet the reality is God doesn't use periods, God uses commas. Because the end of your story, God gets to write and nobody else. And we have to hold on tight to that promise. And as I invite the worship team back up, I want us to think about the areas in our lives that we need to trust God with. And on your uh, bulletin, 
there's a response that says, I will surrender to God blank. What is it that today you need to respond and surrender fully to God? And knowing that as we surrender, as we remain, simply remain, and that's it, just remain in God, knowing that God will come through. That God will nourish, God will provide. And maybe even, even right now, you just have to bow your heads right now, just take a few seconds to pray and say, God, what are the areas that I need to trust you with? What areas do I need to just simply remain? There's an author named Jonathan Hartgrove. He wrote a, one of my favorite books called The Wisdom of Stability. He says to climb even closer to God is not to move away from our troubles or troubling neighbors, but to draw closer to them. This means asking the tough question, God, in this season of pruning, what do you have for me? There's a gift waiting for you. What is it? To write that down, to pray on it, pursue God, and let's end by singing songs in worship.